I think in some ways it may be easier for grown-ups to slip into thinking, uh, to forgetting about the battle, the spiritual war, because there's so many other battles that we face. You know, we're trying to stay healthy, we're trying to pay the bills, we're trying to rear the kids, we're trying to rear the grandkids, we're trying to, you know, keep up with office politics, we're trying to do all the kinds of things that uh, adults do. We, we have these things that go through our minds, some things we know shouldn't be there and some things should be there. We have all these battles going on and it's very easy for us to forget that we're actually part of a much bigger battle that we need to be prepared for, that it's more, you know, if I'm a student, uh, it's more than just about knowing the answers for my test. It's more than just being on time uh, for work or for class. It's about being ready for the battle that God says we're already in. So we're going to drop into the middle of chapter 6 of Ephesians with these verses, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Who remembers, who remembers the Greek term? Because, and, I'm, and we learned it because there's a song some of us have sung in the past. And take to arm you for the fight, the panoply, all right? So none of you can say you don't know any Greek. Okay? You know some Greek, pan, uh, whole, or all, and oply, the armor. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I got thinking about the Apostle Paul, and I really have... I have Pastor Wooster to thank for this, because as I was looking at this guy um, and, and looking at the, the armor here, I got thinking about the fact that it's very likely that the Apostle Paul was also looking at the armor when he wrote these words. Because we know that he wrote from house arrest in Rome, and we learn from Luke in Acts 28 that he was chained every day to a Roman soldier, uh, one of the crack troops that guarded Caesar, the bodyguards of Caesar called the Praetorian Guard. So these are like special forces level kind of guys um, or maybe uh, secret service kind of guys that are guarding uh, the most powerful man in the world. And they were assigned one by one to Apostle Paul. We know that every day that the Apostle Paul would share the gospel and teach truths from the gospel to those that would visit him there in house arrest. That meant that those soldiers heard the gospel. In fact, eventually, Caesar himself heard the gospel. Nero heard the gospel from the greatest missionary of the time. Incredible. I mean, God, God has a way of showing kindness to his worst enemies. And we know from what Paul says in the book of Philippians, that there were members of the Praetorian Guard who came to know Christ. There were members of Caesar's household that came to know Christ. This is an amazing thing. You would think you've shut down this missionary. In the, the spiritual war, you have 
You have stalemated him. You have boxed him in. He no longer can travel uh, to these different places that he's gone to plant churches. Instead, he's a prisoner for two years in Caesarea. He goes, he's part, shipped to Rome. He's part of a shipwreck. He's bitten by a snake. He's, and then he's under house arrest, awaiting standing before Nero. And you'd think, okay, well, he's just having to take a long sabbatical okay, from the mission field. And absolutely not. Um, it's almost as if God made him more productive in his imprisonment than any other time of his life. Um, we read his letters not just from when he was free, but when he was in prison, and, and he continued to give the gospel. The reality is that when Jesus said, going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, of all ethnicities, it, you could translate that while you're going. That means wherever you are, where, wherever you place your foot, where, whatever people you're around, you can be carrying the message of the gospel. You can be carrying on this holy war as it were, uh, calling people to give allegiance to King Jesus. So as he writes about the armor of God, you have to wonder whether he, he kind of patterns his discussion after the armor he sees the soldier of the day wearing. Um, really a fitting way to take what many would consider to be a royal pain chained to a soldier and turn it into an object lesson better than any not just for kids ever hoped to be. I mean, think about how good not just for kids would be if I actually had a real Roman soldier sitting, you know, chained to my wrist as we talked about the parts of armor. Well, he's going to talk about it with us. And really very, very simple layout here as we look at this text. First, verse 13, the whole armor necessary to standing firm. There's such an emphasis on standing, on holding fast, on standing um, and it reminds us of the sieges of those ancient cities uh, where they have to hold their ground uh, against an attacking enemy. Then he talks about the belt of truth at the beginning of verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness, the second part of verse 14, the shoes of gospel readiness in verse 15, and then finally in verse 16, where we're cutting off for tonight, the shield of faith. So let's talk about the whole armor being necessary for standing firm. And, the, you know, we're jumping into the middle of this letter, and it starts with a therefore. So what does that mean? I'm, I'm taking up the whole armor of God because of something that's happened before, something he's talked about before. Why do I need to take up the whole armor of God? Well, because of the battle that I'm facing. I mean, the kids get it. That There's a war going on. There's a battle going on against rulers and authorities. These are ranks of angels, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That is, not just on earth, but, but in that realm where angels and, and spirits uh, are at work. Uh, that's the realm in which we are doing battle. And that seems, you know, a little bit like fantasy to us, that it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not something, not tangible so much. It's not something we can touch and feel, and, and yet this is for real. And we know that this world exists. We know, for instance, that, you know, you can't touch love, but you know that it exists. You, you can't... Um, 
mold humility, but we know that it's for real. There's all kinds of things that are, are realities in the world that are not material. We don't live in just a material world. It's also a spiritual world. And so, we are instructed to take up the whole armor of God. And I want you to picture as a battle is about to begin, and you're just in the, the, the hours just before it, the soldiers um, picking up the pieces of armor, strapping them on, making sure everything is in readiness, because very soon uh, these parts of armor are going to be necessary to his survival and his winning the battle that he has to win that particular day. And in this case, take up the whole armor of God, and we're going to talk about these parts of armor. Um, and this is from this is protection God has provided. This is this is battle gear God has provided. So this armor is not just protective gear. It's also going to be offensive gear, like a sword of the spirit. That here's the purpose. This is so that. So here's the purpose. You may be able. And this again is the word that we get dynamite from. It has the idea of having this the power of ability. Okay. Now when you think about the enemy that we're up against, for us to be able to have the power to even fight this battle is extraordinary. I mean, almost at a miraculous level. Because I don't think there's one of us, and, and the kids knew this as well, we don't, we don't want to duke it out with the devil. I mean, we, we can sing about, you know, the devil sitting on attack and that kind of thing, but we know that's silly stuff versus the, the level of of malevolent, the evil force, uh, the ability to harm people that this spirit being has. But, but we're told that this armor actually gives us the ability to stand against them. Now, that, that's extraordinary. There's all kinds of things that market themselves as that, that they will work that don't. But God says, look, this, this will work. This will make you capable of being able to stand against the devil's assaults in the evil day. It's interesting that he uses this, this description. Uh, you may remember that back earlier in Ephesians 5.16, he said, make the best use of the time. And time is not chronos, but kairos. It's, it's not just the, the, the seconds on the, on the clock. It's the idea of the seasons of opportunity. He says, redeem, buy back those opportunities because the days are evil. And they say, well, what do you mean the days are evil? Well, we just talked about it this morning. Remember how Paul says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work? Hey, and remember John the Apostle says there are many antichrists that are already around. The spirit of antichrist is already here. So we live in a world that is that is hostile, a, a, a cosmic order that is hostile to God. And it shows itself at, at every level of society, right down into the human heart. And, and that may, that's what makes the days evil. The, the, the days, the, you know, what happens in the days are charged with this lawlessness that, that makes it a dangerous place. The world seeks to seduce the Christian. The world attacks the Christian that's trying to live, in for, live for God. Because the world is actually, according to Ephesians 2, that we looked at earlier in this letter, the world is under the control of the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now energizes the sons of disobedience. Satan has got his whole system, and we want to be able to stand against him. If we're going to be able to do that, uh, we're going to have to make the preparation necessary. Having done all has that idea of you done all the preparation you need to do to stand firm. And as I thought about this verse, it, it struck me that in, in our period of history, we're really big on progress. You hear people always talking about change and progress and, you know, the brighter world and, uh, and this kind of thing. And it's kind of led to the idea that, 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 that there always has to be progress. There always has to be movement. But I would remind you that just because you're moving doesn't mean you're progressing. Uh, you may be drifting off course. You may be retreating. And I get the, you know, I, don't, I like moving. If, you know, if I'm stuck at a, a stoplight that's lasting too long or if there's too much delay in traffic, I'd rather go the long way, even if it takes me twice as long, just so that I'm moving. Okay? It gives me at least the sense that something's happening. And so I think I'm a child of the age. I, you know, let's, let's get moving here. Everything's too boring. It's too stagnant. Um, and certainly there are mobilization efforts that we need to be involved with. But it's striking here that essentially Paul's saying we've got ground to protect. We've got truth to defend. We, 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 we want to stand firm where God has put us. And, and not drift off course, and not be driven off of the truth that we have received in the beginning. So, as we think about this armor, I, I, I want you to think about, you know, even the typical Monday morning. Maybe it's a good thing that right after Sunday, the best day of the week, um, comes Monday, which sometimes feels like the worst day of the week. Like, here we go again. Um, since every day... You face not just the physical war and the mental war of, of getting back to work and all of that. Every day you face a spiritual war against powerful satanic forces, if the Bible's telling us the truth. What needs to be part of your daily routine to be prepared to stand firm against whatever evil comes against you? In other words, how... how how wise or foolish would it be, you know, if, if, if every day carries a risk with it, do you really want to go into any day unprepared? What we want to be doing is, is doing this taking up the armor, doing everything we need to be prepared for the battle. Well, what would that look like? Like, what... what Think, think about the assaults on your faith. Think about the battles, spiritual battles that you face. What would it look like? What do you need to do as you start each day to actually be ready for that? Okay, now, if you're not doing that, how about let's figure out a way to start? Let's think about each, like, what do I need to be doing? You know, one of, just a simple thing that, it's helpful for me. It's just when I wake up in the morning is to, to thank God for the day he's given to me. I didn't keep myself alive the whole night that I slept. I wasn't saying heartbeat, lungs breathe. 
I, I just, God kept me alive. And he gave me another day. Every day is a gift. So God, thank you for this day. And now help me use this day for the purpose that you gave it to me. Help, help me love you more. Help me show love to other people. Help me find ways to actually be a help to them. And I actually had a friend years ago that, that said this is the way he prayed every day. And I thought, that's a great idea. I need to pray that way every day. I need to inject some purpose in the day right at the beginning when I'm not feeling very, you know, I'm, I'm more like sleep firm, not stand firm at the beginning of the day. Like, oh, it's already over and here we go again. Well, here we go again. Let me strap on the armor. Let me remember why I'm alive. I have a purpose to fulfill. So you think through what your process needs to be. Figure it out before you go to bed tonight. And, and then make it part of your regular routine that you're actually getting ready for the day of battle. Well, one of the things that we're called to take is obviously the, the belt having stand, therefore. Okay, he keeps saying stand. You know, we want to hold firm. We, wanna, we don't want to move off the position God has given to us, having fastened, fastened on the belt of truth. Now, I think for a lot of us nowadays, a, a belt is more like a fashion statement, like which belt? You know, if you go thrift store shopping, you've got lots of belts. I've got lots of belts. Like, which belt am I going to wear today? What goes with my outfit? That's not what we're talking about really here. Think about how many of you have ever engaged like in doing weightlifting uh, on a regular, any kind of, did, did any of you ever use like those wide belt? Ever seen those guys that lift those really heavy, heavy stuff and they put on this belt? Why do they wear the belt? It helps it help support this mid-region of your body so that you don't end up splitting muscles and, and other kinds of things, uh, bad things to you. Uh, it, th this wide belt that the soldier wore was part of making it possible to stand firm and to stand strong. It protected the lower abdomen. Um, often he, there's more than one belt, another belt he fashioned the sword to, and, and even other parts of the armor to. Um, but, but the idea of letting truth be what makes you strong and stable. It was also, you, they would wear, a, under the armor is a tunic, uh, like a little robe, okay? Well, fighting in a little robe isn't so great. Um, so you'd want to tuck that tunic up into the belt so that you had free movement, and the belt was for that as well. So this is all about getting yourself ready for the fight. Well, this first piece then is this belt of truth. We, we remember that what we have is a revealed religion, uh, and we, we need to have protection against the lies and the deception of Satan. We, we hold that the Scripture is the rule of faith and practice. There has to be some objective standard, some, something that, that girds us, that makes us strong um, against all the deviations. If you give up this piece of armor, everything else is up for grabs. That's why so-called progressive Christianity, which is a lie in and of itself, except that it's moving. It's moving, but it's not progress. Progressive Christianity is so damaging. It deconstructs the foundation of everything else. It replaces the truth, 
the belt of truth with changing opinions and, and dogmas of fickle human beings that happen to be popular at the moment. If you adopt this way of thinking, you will defect. You will. Period. You, you cannot stand if you give up the belt of truth. You can't do it. You, you've got to hold firm to that. It has to be... Um, how you judge whether you're dealing with a lie, and the lie can be old or new, whether you're dealing with a lie or you're dealing with truth. And Paul teaches us that when we believe the truth and hold to the truth, that 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 truth has a way of changing who we are. And he calls us, for instance, in Ephesians 4.15, to be truthing in love. It's translated in English, speaking the truth in love, but it's literally truthing in love. And it's more than just how you talk, it's how you live. It's not just the truth of Scripture, but, but the honest integrity of a truth-based life, uh, sincerity rather than duplicity, transparency. In other words, be who you are and do who you are. Christ has transformed you so you don't have to be a fake. Christianity is not a make-believe game. It's authentic, genuine life rooted in solid, reliable truth from God who sees us as we really are and loves us more than anyone else even can. Sometimes I see professing believers, and I, I think we preachers are especially guilty of this from time to time, use dishonest tactics in order to advance some truth. If, if I'm going to defend the truth, then I've got to do it in a truthful way. We don't need to use lies if it's truth that we're defending and promoting. We know that the end or the goal does not justify the means or the methods. If our goal is truly honorable, we refuse to use underhanded methods to advance it. And I, I may be being too, too vague, but I think um, those of you that teach and preach, I think you know what I'm talking about, is where, where men who, uh, and women who are teaching the truth are willing to be dishonest in order to win the argument or in, under, uh, in order to achieve some goal that they think is a good goal. Um, one of the clues that your goal is off is if you're willing to be dishonest to get it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I remember years ago, dealing with some issue and, and had a well-meaning friend that said, well, well look, why, why, don't you just, why don't you just teach this? I know that it's not true, but it just makes it simpler for people, and it's not as confusing. And I said to him, well, what happens when they find out that I lied to them? Then they're going to wonder whether I lied to them about everything else. So it's better to take it on the chin and, and not achieve my goal than to have to pretend or to lie in order to gain some perceived good. So, let me ask you this. In what ways do you keep yourself in the truth revealed by God? I mean, if you're going to, if this is going to be your belt, if the truth of God is going to hold you firm, that means it needs to be part of who you are. It needs to be 
uh, deep in your soul and your mind. You can't be drifting from it. You've got you've to know it well enough. You've got to know the real well enough that you can tell, spot the counterfeit. Okay? So what are you doing to make sure that truth of God is in your heart? And then secondly, in what ways do you hold yourself to honest transparency of life before God and others? It's, it's very easy to start living at two levels. And, and this is especially true of all of us that make our living in some way connected to the church or to Christian education or something that we would consider, quote-unquote, full-time Christian living, which actually what everybody's supposed to be doing is actually a Christian. Okay? But, but it's easy for me. It would be very easy for me to think, hey, Drew, you're okay because look at all the, the sermons you're preaching. Look at all the sermons you preached this year. And, and look at all the time you spent in the Bible. And, and, and look at all you're doing for good. You must be okay. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't prove that I'm okay. It, it, it proves maybe that I did my job. But, but I want to make sure that, that my job is more than a job, that it's actually my service to God. And I think I've told you before of a, a fellow pastor saying, you know, I used to pray that God would help me be a, a good pastor. I began to pray that God would just make me uh, a good Christian or, or just a Christian. Like, Lord, help, help me live as a Christian, even though I'm serving as a pastor. And, and he had been through some rough waters, and, and you know, God makes that clear to us. Uh, we've, we need to be actually serving God. So we want to be truthful. This is, this, everything is built on this. Secondly, um, the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I think I'm going to have to speed up because I'm like behind my schedule here. Um, and there's a meeting afterwards. Uh, obviously, a breastplate protects the vital organs over the chest regions. is what you need to stay alive. And we've received imputed righteousness from Christ. We're declared righteous on the basis of the perfect righteousness of the God-man Savior. But it's more likely, since Paul is talking about taking this on and putting this on, that he's actually talking about um, not just this foundational imputed righteousness, but, but the righteousness that flows from that, the actual righteous living that flows from that. In fact, Revelation talks about the righteousnesses of the saints in which they were clothed, the righteous deeds of the saint. The Spirit empowers living that lines up with the righteous standards of God. Now, I want you to think about this. Doing right is protection for us, and doing wrong harms us. Doing right is protection for us, and doing wrong harms us. Whenever you choose to sin, you give yourself a self-inflicted wound, as well as doing injury to those around you. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, do not present your members, parts of your body, to sin as instruments or as weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought to death, from death to life, and your members, the parts of your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. And when we were going through the Romans series, remember we talked about praying each day, God, use my eyes for good. God, use my hands for good. God, let my feet take me where I ought to be. Um, help me use every part of my body, my mind, my intellect, my opportunity. Help me use it all for righteousness. 
So what righteous practices that reflect the righteousness of Jesus make up your everyday normal life patterns? Because this battle is, this war is on all the time, okay? And, and maybe there are some righteous things that, that need to start happening in your life regularly. Um, whenever we choose to do sin, we're, we're taking time and energy that could have been used for righteousness and throwing it away. And more than throwing it away, throwing it away on something that will actually do harm. Number four, the shoes of gospel readiness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So, not that part here. Shoes for your feet. Well, the the shoes that the Roman soldier wore didn't, weren't high fashion today. Um, I guess they could be, but uh, they were designed for warfare. Um, essentially, uh, sandal, um, strapped on, often up, all the way up to the shin, um, and, and with heavy studs. They were lightweight kinds of shoes, but with heavy studs, uh, kind of like cleats like soccer or, or baseball cleats um, that helped them grip the ground and gave them strong traction. So it provided for them both mobility and stability. And, and it's striking that, that Paul would connect the gospel to the shoes. And I think maybe he had in mind Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The good news, of course, is the gospel. The gospel of peace, it's, a, it's good news that, that we have peace with God, a peace of conscience and peace with others. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The good news opens the way for our warfare with God to end. And, and in its place, he makes us his allies citizens of his kingdom, his friends, his children. And you'll notice that it talks about the readiness, the preparedness. Uh, you can't share what you're not experiencing. And once you've received the good news, you know by its very nature it's meant to be passed on to others. And Jesus himself has set us on mission to make disciples of all ethnicities so that they will follow him too. So if you've not found peace through the gospel you'll find it difficult to pass it on. You'll find it difficult to keep your footing. If you're not passing it on, you tend to lose your sense of your purpose in life. And without purpose, you get distracted and become idle and easy prey for the enemy. So let me ask you, how are you keeping gospel truth in the forefront of your mind each day? We have a little book called The Gospel Primer in our in our bookstore that many of you have benefited from were basic meditations, daily meditations on applying the gospel to your life. There are other tools like that that uh, are available, like the cross-centered life and others. But, but you want to keep the gospel in the forefront of your mind. And what preparations do you keep up so that you can share the gospel at a moment's notice? Because often your best opportunities come unannounced. They come suddenly, and you want to be ready to share that good news and then, more specifically, with whom could you share the gospel? Even this week, who are the people you know that don't know Jesus? 
Or maybe sometime this month, who can you get with? And who are you already going to be spending time with? You know, while you're going, you're going to make disciples. So that this gospel is, is ready, it's ready to be shared with others. This is part not only of your protection, it's not only defensive, it's also uh, going on the offensive and taking the gospel to other people. And finally, the shield of faith, verse 16, in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield referred to is large. It's like a, it's, it's like a curved door. This is actually um, precisely the design of that shield. It was large enough that crouching down, it would cover uh, nearly your entire body. And if you've studied any Roman warfare, you know that, that they would actually work together um, where they would put their shields. They would basically create a human tank where you've got the shield on the top and on the sides and in the front with the spear sticking out. And they would, they would take on a city wall and it, it would protect them from the the shower of, of, of arrows and from um, stones that might be hurled down from the city walls. We all encounter all kinds of threats in our lifetime of battle. Some we expect and others blindside us. What is it that protects us? It is trust in God, in His reliable character. It, it is the firm belief that His, faithful, his promises are faithful. And that's what keeps us steady when everything around us is giving way and when we don't understand what's going on. Our feelings can rage wild, driven by the storms. We have to bind ourselves to the faithfulness of God, just like a mariner would bind himself to the mast in the middle of a storm. We have to be tethered to him. And we encourage one another in the fight to hold fast to Christ. He's basically been doing that for three years as we went through Jude and Romans and Hebrews and John's epistles and the Thessalonian epistles and Peter's epistles do the same thing about, about standing firm and holding fast and not letting go of the faith because this will quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. The fiery darts of false guilt and slander because he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of a lie, so it helps us quench the fiery darts of false doctrine. Um, the kind of attacks that, you know, these are, these are fiery darts that are kind of attacks that don't just wound, but they fester and burn and sometimes do residual damage. They do damage later on because they're not dealt with. You know, if um, you do any camping, you know that one of the important things you've got to do when you leave a campsite is to make sure you put out the fire, the campfire, completely. Um, I've come across campfires that uh, looks like they're gone, but if you dig down and you blow on them, you find that there's still smoldering embers there, and you can actually get another fire going uh, with those smoldering embers. Well, these fiery darts are kind of that way. Don't let the doubts smolder. Let the water of God's word douse it and put out the flame. Trust God no matter what. Let God be true and every man a liar. So what threats to your faith are you facing right now? I mean, be, be, you can be honest with yourself. You can be honest with God. What, what's threatening your faith right now? Where, where's that coming from? 
And what strategies can you employ to strengthen your faith in God and His promises? And then what friends, part of the strategy, could walk alongside you to strengthen your faith? How could they help? Like, is there anybody you know that, that loves you and knows you well enough and that you trust enough that you could actually say to them, look, I'm, I'm really struggling. And you could share what's going on so that they can join with you. And, and maybe it's not just that you need help from them. Maybe you know somebody that needs help from you to, to help them hold fast to the faith. Well, I've gone way over time, and my apologies. Um, the whole armor necessary to standing firm, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of gospel readiness, shield of faith, and we'll continue next week with more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you, God, that you provide for us what we need to stand firm in the evil day. It's in Christ's name.